What's that instrument called again? Melodica. That's the one. The melodica. I was about to say harmonica. That's an entirely different vibe. That would actually be much harder. Like, the melodica was quite easy. Remember when I sent you that clip of me playing the melodica? I'd had the melodica for about 10 minutes at that point. Amazing. Uh, I'm a... I'm a... Uh, I can't remember the word. Ingenue. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of the OC that we are calling I Lost It All in a Beach Community. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> you can't use that for everything. No, I can't. <laughs> it is extremely suited to this episode, which we will discuss. So the episode begins with uh, Seth and Ryan hanging out, playing some video games. Seth's losing, despite being the one that plays video games all the time. But then Sandy and Kirsten come in to announce to Ryan that they would like to become his legal guardians and to have him stay with them on a permanent basis. There's a lot of emphasis here placed on, like, okay, so we're going to be taking legal responsibility, so can you, like, behave? More from Kirsten than Sandy, who seems to be kind of, like, making jokes about it. But they're welcoming him as part of the family, and he's like, oh, are you sure? Like, what if things go wrong? And Sandy's kind of, like, laughing it off. Like what? You steal a car, you burn down a house, you beat up the captain of the water polo team. Those ships have sailed, my friend. I get Sandy... And I will never say a bad word about Sandy because he is quite clearly joking here. But also, I think it needs to be said that none of those things were Ryan's fault. <laughs> like, stealing the car was his brother's thing. Burning down the house was A, Seth's idea and the fire was started by Luke and beating up the captain of the water polo team. Well, that homophobic dickhead had it coming every single time. So Yeah, he was asking for it. Yeah, so telling Ryan that he needs to behave, I'm not having that. He's a perfect angel. I mean, he's not a perfect angel, and I feel like the fact that you see the difference in him in this episode, which we'll get into a bit later, and like how much he restrains himself, shows that he's not been immune. Like he he never just walks away from something. Like he'll push it, and I think that's. I think far be it from me to side with Kirsten. I hate siding with Kirsten, but when she's saying, you know, no more fights, stay out of trouble, I think that's what she's referring to in that instance. Is the kind of like. Yeah, people are gonna try and push you around because you are an outsider, basically, being brought into this kind of very hoity-toity community, this beach community, if you will. I will. And it's not a thing of, oh, you seem like a bad kid getting into trouble. It's you need to not be influenced and you need to keep your temper. And I think it's actually one of the, the nicer sides of Kirsten that we've seen because she does kind of 
just welcome him to the family very openly and considering how resistant she'd been up until this point it is quite nice a change of pace to see okay i will take that but i will also not let ryan take the fall for any of those things oh no 100 percent. i will i will not no. allow it no like those things were not he did not instigate those things he just got caught up in them because he's a dumbass 16 year old kid is he really 16 though well he's air quotes a 16 year old kid he actually on the subject of that in this scene and this scene only actually looks his own age i don't know if it's because he's like in the position of oh my forever home and they're like kind of saying oh we're gonna be a parents now and there's maybe like a change in him but his skin's very glowy like maybe he's been to a spa or something (laughs) but he actually looks like closer to his age in this scene i don't know why i think like vulnerability does kind of make you seem younger yeah true and i just like whatever this episode is pretty good and i'm i'm gonna probably have quite a lot of good things to say about it but i love this scene so much because it feels like a kind of we've got to the main point of the show now it feels like the last three episodes have been built up and it feels like okay that's resolved you live with us now you're part of the family and it's a really nice contrast to the last episode as well because he's been in this family for like five minutes now and he's already kind of experienced acceptance from them without some sort of condition on his part yeah i know they say sort of keep out of trouble and stuff but that very much seems to be something that they're saying out of care for his situation and concern for him whereas in the last episode when dawn came back and she was talking about you know reasoning away the fact that she disappeared and took off and abandoned him because when he got arrested he let her down he was her last hope And then he got arrested and he ruined it and he just proved that he wasn't going to amount to anything like her other dumb kid. And it's just like the contrast between the two and the fact that he is now part of a family that show that they care about him and are kind of taking steps to make sure that he feels safe and secure. Yeah. And that's lovely. It's very, very nice to see. Like the way that Ryan's been treated in the last three episodes, it's nice that he has some kind of semblance of stability being offered to him now. Also, which is something that we had brought up in previous episodes, Kirsten does actually ask him if he wants this and is okay with it. Whereas before it's been very much like a load of people making decisions for him or assumptions about what he wants. Whereas she quite directly is just like, if that's what you want then we want to become your legal guardians and he's like really happy about it yeah they are treating him like a human being with agency instead of a problem to be solved yeah so she's getting him set up in the pool house at this point and saying that oh he he doesn't have any stuff because she's like oh we'll need to make some space for all your stuff and she's like oh you don't have any that's right (laughs) jesus kirsten yeah and she's like, oh, we'll have to get you, like, some clothes and towels and underpants. And Seth, ugh, an actual, like, 16-year-old is embarrassed by his mum saying underpants, which is extremely bizarre to me. Mm, but also... not quite right with that child. No, there's many things not quite right with that child. I also have to ask the question, what has Ryan been doing all of this time if he has no stuff? He's been with them for, like, days... 
I mean, I assume because he's got, he's normally like lugging around like a weekend bag, isn't he? So I assume that he's got like a handful of underwears. Sorry, Seth. (laughs) And we know that he only seems to have a shirt and then like probably a collection of white vests. And some necklaces. And some necklaces, but I imagine they stay on all the time. Sorry, babe, the (laughs) necklace stays on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So they're discussing his shopping needs and Kirsten just kind of really casually is like, oh, well, you're going to need a tux. And Ryan looks a bit perplexed by that, uh, to which she introduces the concept of a cotillion. (sighs) Yeah, I agree. Cotillion is something I have not heard of in any context outside of the OC. Well, there is one in Gilmore Girls. Oh. There is a cotillion in Gilmore Girls and it's like a much more ingrained process. I feel like they have like three or four episodes where Rory has to like go to these after school sessions where she's training because they do all of etiquette training and stuff in preparation for the cotillion. I feel like in the OC, it's a lot more like, oh, it's kind of like prom, but with a stricter dress code. Yeah, either way, I hate it. Yeah, I did some reading about it and I don't really like the premise. Oh, there's one in Gossip Girl as well, apparently. Oh, all the Adam Brody shows. Yeah. Wait, is Adam Brody in Gossip Girl? I've never watched it, but I think... Oh, no, no, he's married to... He's married... Yes, he's married to Blair. He's married to Gossip Girl. He's married to a Gossip Girl and he was in Gilmore Girls. So there we go. Adam Brody is the Cotillion King. (laughs) Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) So she's kind of introducing cotillion as a concept so it's like a society event for as she describes it newport's most accomplished young women to for them to make their debut into society which i just read as rich young women yeah the girls of all with the rich, rich families yeah my reading seems to back that up as well it's it's like a high society event it's rich people bullshit yeah it seems like mostly an, it's an event that allows networking and to like make connections because you know that these rich children of rich families are going to go on to be in like important positions sometime in the future. So there seems like a lot of uh, shoulder rubbing going on. So all the rich kids can hook up with the other rich kids and then all of the wealth stays within the same circle. Mm-hmm. Gross. You know, as tradition dictates. <laughs> The thing that I find like super weird about it as well, probably come to it a bit later when we're at the event, but up until now, even though they're extremely wealthy, it still kind of comes across as this like laid back California vibe where everyone's rich, but they're very chill about it. Whereas this seems like some, this sounds like a British empire type thing. Mm. Like this doesn't feel like something that happens in 2003 California. I mean, that's probably my perception of it, but this does not feel like chill wealth. This feels like really like traditional kind of Victorian England nonsense. But I feel like that speaks to more of the way that wealthy people want to present themselves as like these chill, cool, like, oh, I'm just like you, but I happen to have a lot of money type people. Like Jeff Bezos, look at him. Yeah. He dresses like a man making minimum wage because he wants you to think that he's just like 
another guy like you or me and he's not he's a horrible horrible evil man uh and i think he should be thrown into a storm drain but that's the thing is that like with these kind of wealthy things is that tradition is such a huge thing that even if they can go around most of their business being like oh yeah i just love to go surfing and i love to adopt waifs from the juvie it's fine we're totally cool and good people they will still buy into this traditional sort of high society white supremacy bullshit i'm sorry to bring this up so early in the episode but i'm still yet to see one single person of color in this show and the the debutante ball does not go any way to like that could be a clan ceremony yeah 100 percent so don't trust rich people is what i'm saying it's true there's quite a big thing that's been set up from the beginning of this episode which is like ryan staying out of trouble and so he's like oh i'm not gonna go to katilly like do you think it's a, a bad idea that i go because like marissa and luke are gonna be there and marissa's like head girl of the of the cotillion and because he's trying to stay out of trouble he basically just doesn't want to go anywhere near them and i understand that because it seems as though every time someone else kicks off he ends up involved with it Mm -hmm. um so he's kind of like yeah i'm not gonna go which seems to be a recurring thing throughout this episode (laughs) this episode i love for many reasons but can one person decide whether they're going to this event or not because they change their minds constantly throughout and it it bothers me you know oh my god i was gonna talk about this later but there's a scene further on in the episode and it like starts off with ryan and seth and ryan's like yeah i don't want to go i'm not gonna go and then it moves into the kitchen and it's kirsten and sandy and sandy's like yeah i don't want to go i'm not gonna go and then it goes to the cooper's house and marissa is like yeah i really don't want to go i don't think i'm gonna go then jimmy downstairs yeah i don't think i'm gonna go like no one wants to go to this fucking cotillion call it off it's gonna be three people in this massive rented out room no one wants to go just order a pizza and play monopoly like fucking normal people seriously there's just like four back-to-back scenes of just like oh yeah i really don't think i want to go like then don't go feel like you could have all had this conversation at once and just had one swift decision like all of the people from those two households going could have taken one car seriously they could have no one wants to go to this thing but i kind of want someone at some point to just go okay we don't like it but we're all going or we don't like it none of us are going it's a bad idea but they don't or, they just um and ah. i don't think i want to go so i'm not gonna go and then they don't go they don't sit around for an hour and then change their mind just don't go yeah commit you cowards so the next scene is one that is low-key incredible and it's jimmy going up to sandy who's got his surfboard in his car he's clearly just been out for a little surf because that's what he likes his little sandals his little sandals um and jimmy shows up a bit like sheepish kind of tail between his legs look uh i know you're not thrilled with me when i borrowed the money from kirsten i should have asked you I, w- I wasn't going behind your back look it's done let's move on i was uh i was afraid of what you'd think of me losing as much money as i have is uh not an impressive accomplishment <laughs> how much money did you lose nah it's not important How'd you lose it? Look, the important thing is, is I don't know what Julie and I would do without friends like 
You and Kirsten. Jimmy just goes into like, I'm taking no further questions mode. <laughs> he tries to move on and then Sandy is like, how'd you lose it? Like, he's just keeps poking him. Like, you don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, how much I lost isn't important. How I lost it, not important. I'm like, you've got a hundred grand of this family's money. If they ask these questions, you tell them. You at least pretend to tell them. You give them something. You don't just say that's not important. Oh, I love it. He's just like, no, no further questions. Good day, sir. <laughs> And I enjoy it. I also love that like Sandy is being completely pleasant about it. He's asking it in a very sort of light offhand tone, but you can kind of see just like something in his eyes. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like he is goading this man. He's a lawyer. He is trying to make him uncomfortable. He knows all the tricks. There is nothing past Sandy Cohen. So we are now at the fitting and the preparations for Cotillion and Ryan gets to tell Marissa that he's staying. But I thought you said you were leaving with your mom. It didn't really work out, so I'm kind of living with the Coens. For good? Is that gonna be a problem? No, no, it's great. I mean, I guess now we can be friends, right? It's not great because Luke's still a thing, unfortunately. I don't know why he has no redeeming features, but they're talking about like the uh, the whole like setup of the event and how you have like the girls are like the debutantes and then you have the guys who are the escorts and they're all supposed to have got dates by now. And then they introduced the concept of the white knight. <laughs> I don't like this. This was my main takeaway from this scene. I do not like how many times they said white knight in this scene where Kirsten is like pimping out Seth and Ryan as kind of backup escorts for anyone who doesn't have a date. They say white knight so many times. They say white knight so many times that while I was watching the episode, I googled cotillion white knights to see if it was like an official term that's used as part of a debutante ball. Because again, you are just strengthening to me the connection between this and like a, a clan event. Yeah. I don't I don't like it. I don't like White Knight. I don't like how often it's used. I do like that while I was googling this, White Knight doesn't seem to be an official term of a debutante ball or a cotillion, but I did happen to, while googling it, find an ebook readily available on Google called The Highlander's Stolen Bride, which I might use for my other podcast where I read weird shit that I find on the internet to an unsuspecting audience. I would 100% subscribe to that podcast. Oh, you're going to be a guest on that podcast, Christy. I think what makes me especially uncomfortable about this scene in which they keep saying white knight is... So that everyone's white? Yeah, there is that. <laughs> but also Summer, who's being all like, well, every girl needs a white knight because she's suddenly interested in Ryan again. Mm. And I kind of cringed out of my spine. But yeah, so she's like suddenly interested in Ryan again and Marissa is not stoked about that fact, let me tell you. Summer is just awful still. She's consistently awful and I know you keep saying to me that she's gonna get better, but like when? Because she is honestly just like a parody of a mean girl. If she was in Mean Girls, you'd be like, mm, this is a bit much, this is a bit far-fetched because it is just the most basic impression of a mean girl every time she has like this weird sort of beat where she does a pause and then she's like ew 
no one does that. That cannot be real. That's a cartoon character of a rich mean girl. That's pretty much all she is at this point. Sick of it. Oh my god, watching her at the moment is painful. It's so painful. Anyway. We've, we've got like a hundred episodes to get through, so it might be a long old time before we see any redeeming side of Summer. I'm just going to put that out there. Great. I also really don't appreciate how when she's talking about Ryan, she's just like, oh, he's a bad boy and I'm really into all that brooding. And she is right, he does do a lot of brooding. But then she's like, oh, he's like damaged goods and I can save him really Mm. you can't save yourself from talking shit all day long like ryan doesn't need your help you don't have enough personality to sustain yourself right now like there's no way that you can redeem someone else also there was a weird bit in that scene where they're kind of working out like who is going to be assigned to who yeah again summer and marissa talk about ryan in front of him like he's an object yeah they um there's a couple of instances of that because marissa's like head girl she's like assigning dates to people and putting in the white nights for those that don't have dates yet and summer's very much like you're giving him to someone else Mm. like he is some kind of gift he is a gift but he is a, a gift that's a real boy. Like he's property. They're talking about him like he's property. Yes, exactly. So the developing Jimmy story, which is probably one of the main things throughout this episode, develops further as an investigator shows up to Sandy Cohen's office and says to him, hey, so um, I'm doing this investigation into Jimmy Cooper and we noticed that uh, you gave him 100k. Want to tell me about that? Because it transpires that they're investigating him for fraud, which I think was fairly obvious at this point. Yeah, no surprises there. Like, okay, good to have that confirmed. But now because they've given him a quite substantial amount of money, that kind of brings them into the circle of being investigated. Sandy goes home to tell Kirsten about it. And what I love is that he just gets a bottle of wine out and starts like pouring them, tells the kids to go away. And I'm just like, "Mm, I'm not convinced that marriage is ever going to be in my future. But should I decide to do that one day, if anyone's going to give me bad news, I really want them to show up with a bottle of red wine and pour me a really substantial glass before they tell me. Like, I appreciate that. Mm. He, He seems like he's very good at anticipating the needs of others. And Kirsten needing wine relatively frequently, which I can only appreciate as his his role to anticipate that for her. Sandy Cohen is just everything that I would want in a husband. Yeah, sorry, I just kind of trailed off thinking about Sandy Cohen. Yeah, that happens. He's really got me. I'm glad you're here now, four episodes in. I'm not going to lie, I thought that you would have had this realisation sooner, but all in good time. I had the realisation, I think, in like the first episode, but it just keeps getting stronger. Also, I was doing a little bit of a IMDB research during this episode. Peter Gallagher has been in some absolutely shocking looking films and i feel like maybe once this podcast is a bit more established we should do an occasional spin-off episode where we watch one of his movies and talk about that yes a sandy b-side episode i would watch anything that he was in anything so kirsten goes to see jimmy i love this scene because we finally 
find out like we've kind of known for a while that it's fraud but like here we find out what that money is going towards and like it just turns out that his living costs are so high because of his nonsense high maintenance wife (laughs) that he has been siphoning all this money from his business accounts and like that's it he's got no kind of other explanation or justification for it julie comes in in the middle of his and kirsten's conversation asking which credit card she should use to buy her daughter's dress and is going to test drive a new car and like all of this other stuff and he's like "Mm, use this card just for the miles do not use the other card (laughs) and then she leaves and he's like well that explains the how and the why and kirsten's just like oh okay because she's kind of like oh dude what the fuck you're spending like all of your clients money just on dumb shit for your wife like your horse with alopecia yeah when he was like oh yeah here's the how and the why and i was like you are spending your client's money on that fucking horse with alopecia how do you think that's gonna look those investigators are gonna laugh in your fucking face when you were in court, when you were up in that box and you're saying, in my defence, your honour, my horse has alopecia. That is not going to fly. There is no legal precedent for that. And I think that's one of the few things we can be grateful for about the American justice system is that you do not get away with defrauding your friends and community for hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a wig for your horse. (laughs) I'm going to need to research that and just check before we commit to it because I'm America is wild, my friend. Oh my god, imagine. Oh, I bet there is as well. Okay, yeah, we will we we'll will find put out. that in with like a, a vocal asterisk here that there may be a crazy like fringe case somewhere in America where someone defrauded their business for a horse wig and got away with it but and if so we're looking up the case law. then we will we will issue a full and frank retraction in the next episode i'm talking we're getting court transcripts we're looking up case law yeah that's gonna be a whole other sub episode like the the alopecia horse episode <laughs> and you thought the last episode was the alopecia horse episode christy when you podcast with me every episode is the horse alopecia episode oh no <laughs> Anyway, a point that I was trying to get to before I got distracted once again by the alopecia horse is that, yeah, Kirsten's kind of like, dude, what the hell? Like, what are you doing, you idiot? And he turns around with, like, this really kind of, like, noble expression on his face and he's like, I can't say no to my family. Really kind of, like, moral high ground stuff. And I'm like, okay, Jimmy, that works if you're spending all this money on life-saving medication for your diabetic child or bail money not a fucking horse with alopecia and a new car when you've already got two cars. You are just being whipped by your wife who wants to live a lifestyle that you cannot create for her. Yeah, 100%. He's got to keep her in her- There's loads of stuff I want. There's loads of stuff I want, Jimmy. I don't really want a horse with alopecia, but if I had the spare money, maybe I would think about it. But- There's loads of things I'd like. I can't afford them. So instead of stealing money from people, I just don't have it. (laughs) I fucking hate rich people, Christy. They get so attuned to the idea that they just can have anything that they want. 
doesn't matter how they get it. Jimmy is like the absolute embodiment of everything that is wrong with rich people. Oh yeah, there's no consequences. He's not necessarily portrayed as like a bad person or like a malicious person or even like a like a selfish person really although i think this is a selfish act but it's the fact that he feels so entitled to just be able to have whatever he wants and provide whatever his family want no matter how ridiculous horse with alopecia that he will just he will steal money and then he'll borrow more money from like his childhood best friend in order to try and plug the gap like plug the hole that he has dug himself it's just the absolute lack of perspective yeah fuck rich people bear in mind though that he does have to keep julie cooper in froyo he's probably spending this mostly on froyo please can someone good at the economy help me budget this my family is dying (laughs) i think pistachio froyo in fact is is her frozen dessert of choice pistachios are expensive yeah, well... Probably one of the higher-end froyos you can get. Only the best for Julie Cooper, my friend. So, there's another section in which people are talking about trouble happening at the ball in amongst this. And Ryan's all, like, trying to avoid Luke because he knows that that's all going to kick off the second that he gets the opportunity to. And it's really funny because there's this line where... Seth's like, it's a debutante ball, how much trouble can you get into? And as a foreshadowing line, it's just, mwah, chef's kiss. How much trouble can you get into at a, de- a debutante ball? Let's find out. Challenge accepted. Let's watch on, shall we? But while Seth's here as well, he's being the absolute worst because Ryan's talking about not going to Cotillion and Seth's trying to guilt him into the fact that he's now going to leave a girl. that we had a bit of a mic misfunction this week and we've lost about 10 minutes of Christie's audio at this point. This may be the second week in a row that this has happened but I cannot be mad because who amongst us has not forgotten to check that their mic is still recording every now and again. Um, Turns out Christy was not stoked at using a text-to-speech program to replace her for her lost audio. So this week I'm just going to catch you up on what you've missed in this section. So we talked for a little bit about the very creepy interactions between Ryan and Marissa in this part of the episode and how they both seem about to bust a nut every time he touches her back, which he does for far too long on two occasions. We also talked about a new character Anna who is fierce as hell and we both approve of but it will come up again later in the episode. I think that was all we missed really. If there was anything else let's just hope it wasn't too important. Uh, Every episode at this point is still a learning process so we will not be offering any refunds. If you have any complaints about this that you would like to air maybe just stop and think about what you're doing with your life. Unfortunately we do still have all of my audio from this lost section in time Um, but instead of forcing me to endure all of me having a one-sided conversation here are some out of context drops from it. Ciao! Seth is atrocious in this whole episode. 
truly uh, shows his ass. The only other option that presents itself to me is that Marissa is dumb as a bag of rocks. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, if Sandy Cohen ever needs me to do up his dress. <laughs> but also, yes, I fully respect and support a spin-off that is me and Sandy Cohen solving mysteries. Maybe not crimes. I don't want to get into anything murky, but mysteries. She's got a Vans wristband on. Seth is like an insecure, weird little nerd. And Summer is also there. She's doing a stupid dance and she's getting out of here. So Ryan and Marissa are clearly having a moment while they're learning the dance and he's got a hand on her, his hand on her back. And then Luke walks in. Of course he does. I swear like a variation of this exact thing has happened in every episode so far. Yeah. And he comes in and he's like, oh, I'd be jealous if Chino wasn't gay. <laughs> because he just can't not be a massive homophobe in every single episode. At least he's downgraded from queer though. That is true. I did not like that word in his mouth. No, and it ended up there so often. I mean, this leads us on to what is my favourite segment, Comrade Sandy. Comrade Sandy! I have Comrade Sandy here as well, so I'm glad that we're both very much on the same page when it comes to Comrade Sandy. I love Comrade Sandy and this scene is just another just oh it's vintage Comrade Sandy peak Comrade Sandy would you like to do this one I got a two-time drug offender they want to deport 15 years old Sandy he needs help Jimmy Cooper he stole from his clients, he stole from his friends, and then he had the nerve to borrow $100,000 from us to cover it up. He was trying to provide for his family. Yeah, boats, ponies. So you'll defend a two-time drug offender, but you won't defend... Yes. My clients are kids who have no hope, no guidance, nothing. Jimmy Cooper is just another spoiled Newport brat who had everything handed to him. Yes, I love this. So there's a lot of like class insecurity coming out here again. Like Kirsten feels very attacked by what Sandy is saying. Like there is a very clear suggestion that Kirsten feels like when he is attacking this sort of mindset of rich OC people and their entitlement, that he's also having like a sly dig at her. And she really gets defensive about it. And it's so telling of like maybe her own insecurities about where she is in life and like her privileges and stuff that she is always ready to be defensive about that lifestyle when in fact Sandy is actually not talking about that he's talking about specifically the entitlement that comes with feeling like you are able to steal a bunch of people's money yeah 100%. And the fact that Kirsten then kind of turns on Sandy, she's like, oh, you won't help our friend, but you'll help drug dealers. And just like the venomous way that she says it, it's kind of like, mm, your rich is showing, babes. Yeah. Like ultimately, 
kids getting busted for dealing drugs one is like a hugely sort of like racially weighted thing which is why you have white businesses entirely dedicated to selling weed whereas like most people who are in prison for selling weed are black but also if you're a teenager and you're selling drugs like no one wants to do that that's a result of not having the kind of access to resources and opportunities that someone like jimmy has yeah so comparing them in any meaningful way is bullshit because jimmy should know better jimmy has enough opportunity and enough education and enough sort of privilege and probably enough money from his parents that he should know better and it's actually much worse that he is doing this than it is for some teenager to be selling some weed yeah and the way that they set this scene so fuck up- you kirsten <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think the way that this scene's set up as well is amazing because he's Sandy's talking to someone in his office and he's like, Yeah, I've got a two time drug offender that they want to deport. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, so this child drug dealer is only 15 and they're trying to deport them for this two time drug offence. And so the fact that Kirsten comes in all high and mighty, like, well, he was just trying to provide for his family. And Sandy is just having none of it. And I live for this entire scene where she was like, well, he was trying to provide for his family. And Sandy's like, yeah, boats, ponies. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just like, fucking drag him, Sandy. Like, I absolutely hate that she gets this kind of defensiveness in her when he's talking about, oh yeah, he's like this rich, spoiled brat, whatever. And she's like, oh, you could be talking about me. But actually, like, she goes on to mirror exactly the same thing that Jimmy was saying. Before she storms out, she was like, you know, I I can't guarantee that I wouldn't do the same thing if it meant, what wouldn't I do for my family? Yeah, so, but Sandy's like, mm. how are you buying this bullshit that buying all of this useless stuff and cars and horses and houses, like, that's not providing for your family? Yeah, that's just spending other people's money because you're privileged enough to be able to do that and not be shunned from society like Ryan has for hardly doing anything. Sandy is just completely on fire in this scene. Comrade Sandy. And quite frankly, I don't know how Kirsten didn't just fucking bang him on the desk right there with those words but the fact that she chooses to go on the defensive as little rich white girl karen just makes me really angry like she doesn't deserve him she doesn't deserve him also i love the parallels between sandy and ryan i feel like this scene here where he's saying about how jimmy is just another spoiled oc brat whatever that is his equivalent of when ryan beats the shit out of luke and is like you know what i like about rich people nothing oh love them i cook it to my veins <laughs> yeah a, a classic comrade sandy here one for the ages one for the hall of fame and you're right there will be a comrade sandy hall of fame episode <laughs> we're gonna do a compilation episode where we just like play clips of all of the best sandy cohen moments yeah we are interspersed with the the theme music and just clips of us crying yes that is gonna happen. Look forward to it. So we're back 
we're back at Cotillion Prep. Yes. And they're talking about this cookout that this girl Holly has every year that Seth doesn't get invited to but feels that he should have, again, classic Seth entitlement. Mm. But Holly's dad, Greg, also the name of my dad, but he's not my dad, is asking about this money. So he goes up to Jimmy and he's like, oh, I'm going to need to like take some of that money and I've got this investment on a property that's going through something or other. And Jimmy's like just kind of being really avoidant about it. Like, I've been really busy, so I haven't been able to take your calls. Um, and he's like, well, how about you just bring the cheque to the cotillion later? And Jimmy's just like, um, yeah, yeah, sure. Not happening. This is the point I understand why in the pilot episode we see Jimmy crying in the toilets. Because Greg asks for $250,000 of his money back to put into this property investment. And Jimmy is like, mm. And I'm just thinking, how much money have you stolen? Like, we don't really have a sense... Him borrowing a hundred grand from Kirsten shows that he's in quite a hole. But he's borrowed a hundred k from Kirsten, but he clearly has spent at least two hundred and fifty thousand. That's just one. Presumably closer to three hundred and fifty thousand, if we're factoring in Kirsten's money. And yeah, we're not even thinking about all of the other investments and other money that he has. There are indications that he's basically been stealing money from all of his clients. Yeah. So how much money has he taken and how has it taken anyone this long i feel like at this point it's got to be it's got to be close to a million this is just two examples that we're seeing oh yeah what are that fraud team doing yeah. <laughs> maybe move a little bit faster if he's like not answering your calls and like he's saying oh i'm not home like getting his daughter to answer the door I don't know. I feel like there must be ways that you can try a little bit harder to trace the man down. Like, seriously, he's he's clearly swindled a lot of money. Like, this is some kind of next level rich OC heist. Mm. I feel like in the Model Home episode, when he borrows that money from Kirsten, we are kind of given the sense that that hundred grand is going to solve his problems. Like, it's going to fix everything. It's going to clear his debts. This is the point where we're seeing like, oh no, he's actually like way more in the hole than anyone could have suspected and that hundred grand probably is not even going to touch the sides oh hell yeah that hundred grand was just for the horse wig yeah (laughs) they're not cheap so we're now at the cookout which just seems to be another one of these out of control oc parties but apparently there's a small barbecue there is the only difference i wouldn't really call it a cookout if i'm honest i didn't see a drug corner though not like in the pilot episode That is true. Maybe it was because it's a bit earlier in the day. They get out of hand later. I did see, like, there's that bit where Luke is loading up a chip with guac, maybe, or spinach dip, and he's trying to feed it to one of his friends, but then he drops it, and there's, like, this whole thing, and Marissa is sitting behind them, looking over at them, like, what the fuck is going on? And I have to agree with her, like, there is this really weird, kind of, like, jock vibes going on from these dudes, but also... They're exuding these jock vibes whilst, like, trying to feed each other dips. Yeah. It's a very strange energy coming from Luke and his friend in that moment. And yet Marissa is still with him. And that is what is bothering me. Like, why are you aligning yourself to him? He's a jerk at every opportunity. He acts like a dickhead at every opportunity. You're young and rich for now and beautiful. You can have, like, your choice. And and yet Luke is 
what you're attaching yourself to like hun come on it is very significant that we don't ever really see luke and marissa together alone yeah we don't see what that relationship is like when they're just alone because fuck boys will act so differently when they're not around their little groups of friends and they don't feel like they've got a reputation to maintain there's like a good chance that marissa is thinking that this dumb behavior of his is sort of like this bravado thing that he just puts on around his friends but it's not like the real luke you know and when they're together that's the real luke a sensitive man you have to assume that he is nicer if not more interesting when they're alone but marissa babes it's not the case seriously that's the illusion that the luke that you see calling everyone queers and getting into fights and feeding his water polo buddy dips and all of this other nonsense that he does taking that girl down to the beach on that party that's something we forgot about in the pilot yeah there is heavy implications that luke has no issue cheating on marissa whatsoever no marissa if you're listening (laughs) dump him marissa please I'll give you the same advice that I give to every woman that comes to tell me about their disappointing boyfriend. Dump him. Dump him now. Dump him brutally. Do not ever look back. (laughs) So there is an amazing bit in here that Summer comes out with when she's trying to get some other girl to trade escorts because clearly she doesn't want to go with Seth. And it's a small thing, but a significant thing, which is where she offers to trade two Jack Johnson tickets. (laughs) Remember Jack Johnson? Honestly. (laughs) I honestly can't think of any more, like, basic white OC girl thing than I would trade you two tickets for Jack Johnson (laughs) and the $11 that I have in my purse. Like, Summer... You're rich and all you're coming to the table with is $11 and two tickets to Jack Johnson. Like, get out of here. I feel like the the only sort of more on-the-nose thing she could possibly have offered would have been Phantom Planet tickets. (laughs) I would prefer that. At least they had one banger. They also did that Radiohead cover. Don't remember that. It was on that Mark Ronson album. You know, when Mark Ronson got all of those artists to do, like, covers and stuff, yeah. He did a jaunty, I would say, cover of Just by Radiohead. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I say that they... When I say they did a not bad cover of Radiohead, what I mean is I remember their cover of Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) A memorable cover. They have the OC theme music and they have the Radiohead cover and that is about it. She also has another moment of having to put Seth in his place because uh, he like comes over and is talking about their date and I think he's like wanting her to be excited about it. He's like, could you at least pretend to be stoked? (laughs) Oh, Seth, she does not owe you anything. Like she's made it clear she doesn't want to go with you. Like just have the dignity to just call it off mate yeah the thing i had about that was that i understand like if you walk in on someone and they are trying to trade you away as a date with jack johnson (laughs) tickets i can understand how that would hurt your feelings if he had gone up to her and said could you at least just pretend that you don't hate this 
just something that is like, can you stop being so rude when I'm essentially doing you a favour because you don't have a date? Yeah. Could you just acknowledge that I'm doing a nice thing? Could you be less mean? Any of those variations would have been like, yeah, fair enough. Like, tell her. Yeah, she is being a bit rude. But when he comes across as like, oh, can't you even pretend to be excited? Like, no, she's made it quite clear that she's not excited. She doesn't have to be excited. You need to accept that she doesn't care about you. You've introduced yourself to her now. Every episode, four times in the last few days, she doesn't care, but she can at least be decent about the fact that you are going to be, like, taking her to this thing that everyone has to have dates to. Yeah, like, don't be actively rude would would be nice, but she doesn't owe you her excitement, mate. And, like, at this stage, she just tried to trade you for Jack Johnson tickets. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how distraught I would be to find out someone was trying to trade me for Jack Johnson tickets. At that point, I would just be... I'd be ducking the hell out of there. I'd be like, look, I tried to be polite. You didn't have a date. I like you, but this is uh, this is now at the point where it's very embarrassing for us. So I'm just mm. gonna I'm just gonna leave it there. Yeah, and I think that would have been the best thing to do in a way because I think you can either tell her off for being rude, which he didn't do, or you can sort of witness this and you say, yeah, like I know that you weren't stoked about this, but I was doing it because you didn't have a date. But if this is how you're gonna treat me, then find another person to take you to the cotillion. Yeah, for real. Like you can you can extract yourself from that situation with dignity quite easily, but he doesn't. He makes himself the worst character in that exchange. Which is impressive considering Summer is awful. There's a really great bit though here where Ryan is talking to Marissa. Luke again takes this up as an opportunity to kick off. But like Marissa fully puts him in his place. And I I haven't respected Marissa more than I did in that moment. I loved it so much. Although Ryan's, because he's trying to stay out of trouble, not rise to it. He's like, look, I'm just... I'm just gonna go, like it's fine. And Luke decides that he's not really happy about that and decides to punch him in the stomach anyway and kick off and start a fight. And Brian can't even defend himself because he can't be seen to be getting in any trouble. And I just feel really bad for him because also Ryan, as stated earlier in this episode, wasn't even gonna go. He was saying to Seth, I'm just not gonna go because of this Luke situation. And Seth guilts him into it. Like, oh, I can't yep. go on my own. Like, I'm baby. Mm. And he makes him go and he gets beaten the shit out of and he can't defend himself. Seth, come on. This is your brother now. Do something nice for him, please. You wanted this, Seth. You wanted him to be part of the family. So start treating him like part of your family. He just wants Ryan around for clout. Mm-hmm. It's one of those moments that really kind of shows Ryan's strength of character because Ryan doesn't walk away from a fight. He finishes fights, typically. We have seen him finish several fights in the very short amount of time that the show has been on. You see him just kind of go down. There's no question that he's gonna fight back. Like he does just collapse like a sack of potatoes. Like he just goes down. He's taken that commitment that he made to Kirsten so seriously to the point that like he's a he's a 16, like he's a hot-headed teenager. He's used to fighting 
and he just takes it and just doesn't do anything because being a part of this family means so much to him. I just really like that scene in terms of the dynamic and what it means for the rest of the show. It really shows so much about him and how committed he is. He really has convictions and he, if he makes a promise, he sticks to it. Yeah, and also- He's such a good dude. He is. But also, the reason that he ends up getting hit is he's planning to leave, and it's not until Luke starts giving lip to Marissa that Ryan steps in and says, look, don't tell her what to do. Like, he was all for, like, not letting it happen, but the minute that Luke started being, like, speaking aggressively towards Marissa, that's when he's like, "Mm, no. And he still takes the gut punch, and he still can't fight back. Like, he's only doing stuff with other people's interests at heart. And yeah, it's him that's getting beat on. And what really bothers me about this scene is that, again, Seth, with the lack of self-awareness, everything that we've just discussed, he's like, oh, so you got hit and you didn't fight back? You really are a Cohen. He's not doing it because he's cowardly like you are, Seth. He's doing it because he has a moral code. And again, you've just put your foot in it. Like, just don't say anything. Do nothing but support him. Apologize for dragging him to that party. For real. I think this is where Seth at this age is, I think he tries to take cues from Sandy because Sandy's quite good at like making light of a moment. But Sandy is smart and witty and knows how to like strike the right tone. Whereas Seth does it and just sounds like a prick every single time. He doesn't have the emotional maturity or the self-awareness that his dad has. Hopefully he'll inherit it. I reckon Sandy could throw a punch though. Oh, hell yeah. We're just gonna need a moment to think about that before we continue. We're gonna take a brief interlude. (laughs) So, Oh, we've approached the no one wants to go to this stupid cotillion moment. We could probably just edit what we said earlier for that. I think we covered it pretty, pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, essentially, well, just to gloss over this, we see everyone getting ready for the cotillion and no one wants to go. Ryan's not going. Sandy's not going. Uh, Jimmy's not going. And Marissa is not going. Marissa has that absolutely atrocious conversation with Julie Cooper. Where she's talking about how she maybe doesn't really like Luke anymore. And maybe there's someone better out there. Julie Cooper comes out with this like horrible eugenics bullshit. Marissa. Do you want to end up like your Aunt Cindy with four kids in a trailer park? She broke my mother's heart. I will not let you break mine. Oh, so now this is about you? No, sweetie, it's about you. What kind of future do you think you could have with that boy? Mom, I'm 16. And the choices you make when you're 16 can affect your entire future. Marissa, Luke comes from a good family. If you stay with him, you will always be comfortable. I'm comfortable now. Blah. A good family. Stop it. I hate it. Good stock, good genes, wink, wink. Except he's a homophobe that just starts fights with everyone all the time, Julie. He's horrendous. I don't care what kind of family he comes from. Clearly not a good one because they have taught him nothing about being a decent human whatsoever. But yeah, she does kind of go for the whole, oh, do you want to end up like your aunt Julie? She broke my mother's heart when she got pregnant and had a ton of kids or something. (laughs) It can't be aunt Julie. I think it was. There is no way that Julie has an Aunt Julie. I'm sure she's... 
Was it Susie? I don't think oh, it was Julie. Oh, I thought there was a double Julie. <laughs> double Julie. Can you imagine a family with two Julie Coopers? Oh, God. Jesus, no. But yeah, she gets really quite aggressive with Marissa as well. She pretty much does the whole, like, look, you're going to put on your dress. You're going to do your hair. You're going to do what I tell you. You're going to make your debut into Newport Society with Luke. And it's just like, you are absolutely horrendous. And just when we think you can't get any more horrendous, you somehow do. But I love that in that instance, like Marissa doesn't fall for it. Like I know later she decides to go, but in that instance, she's like, no, I'm not going. And I respect her for that because it feels like she's been very easily manipulated by Julie Cooper in the past. Like Julie Cooper has been controlling her life in a lot of ways. But this time she's like, no, I'm not going. Fuck you, Julie Cooper. And I respect her for she that. She stood up to Luke. She stood up to her mum. She's having quite the day. She's unstoppable. I will say, <laughs> I like, I really enjoy the scene where Julie Cooper goes into Jimmy's office and he's not going either and she's like what's going on what's wrong with this house am i the only one who wants to go and like that all plays out and whatever but i noticed during this scene jimmy appears to have a picture of luke on his desk <laughs> which is quite weird to me i didn't see that there's a bit where like the camera is like in his point of view and you can see his desk and all these papers and stuff and then there is a framed picture of luke on the desk <laughs> that's really weird it is very weird it is very I'm weird i'm gonna have indeed. to go back and find that <laughs> i also don't really understand julie goes and speaks to marissa marissa doesn't want to go she goes downstairs she speaks to jimmy jimmy doesn't want to go the whole point of the cotillion or like debutante ball is that the debutantes are being introduced into society and stuff like this event is very much about the teenage girls so like if your daughter isn't going even though she's the lead debutante or whatever, why are you still so excited to go? Like, why are you still so determined to get your other daughter in her fancy dress and make your husband get all dressed up and go? Like, why are you going still? Just so you can show your kid didn't bother to show up. Like, yeah. surely that's going to bring embarrassment. <laughs> it would be like going to see a high school play that your child wasn't in. That was very weird. But again, this there's the whole thing with Julie Cooper. She is upset if not about her yeah and julie cooper has nothing to do except be part of newport society these fancy events are literally all she has on really organizing being involved bitching about people running her kids around to horse riding lessons like that's that's her whole life. She's a noopsie through and through. She is the noopsie. Um, I feel like now would be a good time to do Back to Fashion Island because this is the point now at which we show up at Cotillion. Okay. Wait, before we do Back to Fashion Island, I just want to sneak in one minor Comrade Sandy moment. Oh my god, yes, there is another Comrade Sandy moment. <laughs> You're correct and you are right to okay. say it. <laughs> So I'm I'm intrigued to see if we're thinking about the same thing. I imagine that we are. So he doesn't want to go to the stupid cotillion. He thinks it's dumb. He's not interested. And Kirsten is really like, oh, I really wish you would come to the cotillion. But yeah, he's really mad about the Jimmy Cooper situation. He doesn't want to be in a room with Jimmy Cooper. Why aren't you dressed? I'm not going. What do you mean you're not going? Oh, I don't feel like getting all dressed up and having to pretend that Jimmy Cooper is the OC golden boy. And any community that makes that guy a hero, it's not one I feel like being part of right now. Yes, Sandy! 
Oh my god. That is some fucking like wise added shit. Just a real sort of profound musing on the human condition, how we've got to where we are in the world. Following false idols like Jimmy Cooper. I love it so much. God oh. bless you, Comrade Sandy. <laughs> But yeah, let's do Fashion Island. Back to Fashion Island. I'm going to show you some real fashion moments. Channel your inner pray tell and read them for filth. Back to the island. Fashion Island. We're at Cotillion and all the girls are like fucking lined up like cattle in their dresses and I just There's a lot of them. There there are a lot of them. After the actual ceremony when they're all dancing, there only seem to be about eight couples in the room, but backstage there are like fifteen to twenty girls all lined up. It's very odd. And what I don't there's a lot of things that I don't understand about cotillion i i i don't relate but one of the things that i really don't understand is why they've got a bunch of 16 year old girls making their debut into, into society all wearing wedding dresses like every single last one of these dresses is white much like the cast and they're disgusting like we're talking ill-fitting satin we're talking like weird like What's the word for like that um fluffy material that's like that poofs out? Tool. Yeah, but that, but but cut in the weirdest. Like, I'm not a fashion expert here, but the cut of it is like where the poofiness is starting like around the hip. Like, mm. excuse me, that that cut's not gonna look good on anybody, my friend. We're talking about weird little cutouts diamantes everywhere some weird like satin rose print it's like every single reject wedding dress you could imagine and they're all wearing them and these are people who have got all of the resource in the world they're all young they're all beautiful they've got loads and loads of money they've got access to all the designers and they mention it early like oh we've got gucci we've got versace and yet they're all wearing these old ass looking dusty wedding dresses. I don't understand it. Like Summer looks like she's trying to be an adult in a dress or something. Like, you know how kids mm. try on that, like their mum's wedding dress just to see what it looks like. I'm like, why would you show up in this? It's got a very fancy dress element to it. Yeah. I can explain why they're all wearing white dresses is it a clan thing that... <laughs> no it's not a clan thing but it's not much better cotillions historically were i mean they've taken the basic idea forward that it is about sort of introducing these women into society for the first time as like full members of the community um historically it was more about alerting the community to the fact that but these girls are, are are women now. They're of like marriageable age. They are ready to be courted and wooed. It was it was very like like a cattle market actually, sort of just presenting them out into the world. And then I think sort of the networking aspect was still going on because men would be sort of talking with families about marriage and because it was much more transactional back in the old days. 
so I think the the tradition of wearing white dresses came down to it being like a symbol for purity and like virginity and stuff in the way that they still do with wedding dresses and it's just something became sort of tradition even though it doesn't necessarily symbolize that these women are looking for husbands it's just something that's been carried over from when that was very much a thing it's also why they had the thing about the the fathers kind of introducing them but then an escort taking them like from their father like it was a symbolic thing yeah there's like like a like a father walking someone down the aisle sort of thing it's very much a kind of okay you belong to this man now instead of this man i mean this is a podcast so you can't see my face but i'm just gonna tell everyone (laughs) about how disgusted my face was for that entire segment of jade talking like i I felt very bad for telling you because you looked so unhappy there's just so much about this that makes me deeply deeply uncomfortable and the dresses are a big part of that but now i know like the symbolism behind it it just makes me even more unhappy i feel like a lot of entrenched traditions when you learn about the meaning behind them it's like oh no let's not do that anymore people want to do that oh gross Also, I find it very interesting because, like, yeah, all of these girls' dresses are horrible. I would say, arguably, Marissa's is the best one. Yeah. But even she's got, like, that weird tall thing sticking out of her arse. Like, it's very odd at the back. But it's interesting to me because one of the things I picked out as being, like, a very good fashion-forward thing is, like, right at the start of the episode when they go shopping for tuxes, Kirsten is wearing this, like, white suit. Yes. And it is very, very crisp and very... It looks so good. It is a great suit. Power suit. And it looks absolutely great. And it is such a good example of, like, okay, like, this is how it should be done. Yeah. That suit, it just... Like, it's powerful, it's casual as well somehow. Like, she doesn't look overdone Mm. or like she's tried... And I want it. Yeah. It's really made me consider getting a white suit. I never will because it would end up looking like in Broad City when Alana buys the white suit and she just spills food over it immediately. Like, I had to get changed just before we did this podcast because I threw a plate of nachos over myself just before. (laughs) I know myself and I know that I could never, ever pull off a white suit because it would be covered in food in a heartbeat. Yeah, but you should just do it anyway. Get some vanish. Don't talk yourself out (laughs) of the white suit. It would be a great look for you. Big bib. Big giant bib. Bubble. I think that was it for Fashion Island. I think the dresses were the main thing for me. Actually, I have two more things. The blazer that Seth is wearing. Oh my god, yes. The like pinstripe blazer. He's wearing it over one of those jumpers that also has a shirt collar under it, so it looks terrible. But if I had that blazer, I would wear the shit out of it and I would make it look good. I love that pinstripe blazer and I want it. Yeah, it's a shame that Seth is not carrying it off whatsoever because he's also wearing it with very ill-fitting trousers and converse Mm. like put it with a skinny jean or even like a like a more skinny fitted trouser Mm. not like some weird baggy thing going on with your trainers mate come on borrowing your dad's suit trousers again it's time that you learn how to dress anna's outfit when she's at the rehearsal 
it's so right like within the time period i think yeah like i really love it seeing her in that outfit really took me back to that specific year i would say that is exactly how i wanted to look when i was like 14 which would have been around the time that the oc was on i feel like she's got that kind of it was kind of like how early avril lavigne was just the kind of like low-key punk thing she is wearing what looks like a school uniform but she's got her little badges on and she's got the little wristband on and her pixie crop Um, like her hair is exquisite yeah her hair is very good I feel like that was quite uncommon around that time. Yeah. That kind of short hairstyle. But she's rocking it. Yeah. I did just notice, though, as we were talking, that she was also wearing a white jacket. There's a lot of white going on in this episode. Well, (laughs) why change the habit of the rest of the season? (laughs) Um, I think the only other Fashion Island uh, thing I had was I really want to know what sausage arms means. When Summer's like, oh, these satin gloves are giving me sausage arms. Yeah, what is sausage arms, please, Summer? What does that mean? I don't really know. But the wider context here is all of the girls appear to be wearing white satin gloves that go essentially like three quarters of the way up their arms. Up to the shoulder almost, yeah. I don't understand it. Did you see the gloves that the boys are wearing? Because there's the bit when Ryan goes up to collect Marissa and he throws his arm out in that weird gesture. And they're like Mickey Mouse (laughs) What, just like a little black glove? They got little like designs sewed on them, little embellishments that look like the little embellishments on Mickey Mouse gloves. They look padded, (laughs) but they're huge. (laughs) How did I miss this? I don't know. I'm going to try and get a screenshot of it. I didn't really notice it until Ryan went up to collect Marissa, but then once I'd seen it, I couldn't unsee it. Oh, God. I really hope that they don't have padded gloves, like like hockey players or something. Do hockey players wear padded gloves? Mm, mm, Hockey players. Like ice hockey maybe there's some sport where they wear padded gloves are you thinking about foam fingers <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> busted <laughs> what do you mean that they're not part of the actual sport that's what the fans wear <laughs> Oh my god, I would love to watch any American sports team, (laughs) any game where exactly the same rules as they are currently, but half of the team has to wear foam fingers. (laughs) My god, imagine basketball. Basketball would be so great if half the team had to wear foam fingers. I would love that so much. Uh, But yeah, it appears that I have been called out by mistaking padded clubs for foam fingers. I will be making no further comments on that at this time. Thank you. (laughs) And that concludes Back to Fashion Island. Well, we are now at Cotillion. Shit's kicking off. Anna and Seth are talking because Ryan's not coming, so she doesn't have a date anymore. But she's literally far too cool to care. And I love that. She does not give a shit. Really. And Anna and Seth are having a conversation. It turns out Anna's really into comics. 
And I'm guessing that this is the oh. point at which your Seth rant is going to kick in. You got me. But I'm just going to hand over to my esteemed colleague Jade to talk about Seth's bullshit in this scene. Okay, so we're really just compounding on the bullshit that we've seen from Seth already in episode two, when Marissa is talking about all the punk bands she likes and Seth's like, oh, Avril Lavigne is not punk music, Marissa. And just the discovery that he likes the same things, the same very, very, very popular things yeah. that Marissa Cooper likes because he can't bear that his special fucking niche interests like Nirvana and The Clash are something that someone else might enjoy and Seth if you think those are the things that make you special it's probably a good thing that you've been insulated from the wider world for this long through virtue of having no friends because nothing about your interests is special but we get to this point and she's talking about comics. Anna is talking about comics and just his cartoon jaw drop, tongue rolling out onto the floor of like, oh, girl, like comic? <laughs> like, please. I mean, it's very good that she has to kind of school him and be like, well, they're graphic novels actually. And kind of show him up a little bit. Like she does not give him a chance to be uh misogynistic no like she doesn't give him the chance to act like the authority on the subject yeah yeah about. she just comes straight in she corrects him she doesn't give him the chance to go oh name your five favorite comics like she just jumps in she's like yeah they're graphic novels actually and she just knows her shit and i love that she just shuts him down because oh my god comics comics are not a niche subject yeah you can buy them everywhere ryan was reading comics everyone's reading fucking comics like you're not interesting 2004 we've we've already got a spider-man film out like everyone knows about comics shut the fuck up seth you're such a pussyhole i can't even bear it <laughs> the best thing is though is that like he tries to do the whole um you you like comics but but you're a girl and anna like doesn't even skip a beat she just kind of looks and is like what's that supposed to mean and then she carries back on mid-flow exactly what she was saying before and it's just so cool and collected and i've got so much time for her i just i can't believe that we actually get an explicit admission of what has been the subtext so far where he actually says oh you like comics but you're a girl because that is kind of the the subtext that we get with marissa when she listens to punk music but the fact that he actually says it out loud how many people have you actually spoken to in your life like how many conversations have you had with people that aren't your mum and dad you weird little incel creep for real he also doesn't cover himself in glory when summer comes over to ditch him because she doesn't need the white knight anymore because it looks as though she's gonna pick luke up as her date because marissa has blown the whole thing off literally just no scruples at all from this girl oh oh hell yeah but so summer comes over and is just like oh look look we don't need to do this now i've got someone else and seth who is having a very interesting conversation with a girl who is cool and awesome and likes the same things as him. He literally just gets up and walks off and leaves her on mm. her own. And I'm just like, Seth, are you actually kidding me right now? Are you actually doing that? Because some of the yeah. brat has just blown you off that you're gonna ditch like the most interesting character in this thing now also you know full well that anna doesn't have a date yeah like this would be the perfect opportunity 
for you to be like, oh, well, hey, now I'm free. I can be your escort. I can be your actual white knight. It's just... But he doesn't, because he's useless. Well, this is where everyone starts changing their minds about going to Cotillion. So Marissa goes over to see Ryan, and they're both not going. But then they're both kind of like, oh, well, you're not going. Oh, well, you're not going. Well, you can't hide from your problems, or you can't hide from your problems. Very much like the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme. And then they're both kind of like, oh, well, I'll go if you go. And then suddenly Ryan's like, oh, so Sandy, we're gonna go to Cotillion? and Sandy's like cool I'll grab the I'll grab the car so all of the people that said they weren't going to Cotillion are now going to Cotillion I'm gonna say I hate this and I'm really annoyed that Marissa came over because she interrupted some primo Ryan and Sandy quality time they need that time they were playing video games together Sandy is terrible at video games but he's also like using it as an opportunity to just have a little check-in with Ryan and see how it's going and I just love it so much like their relationship is so pure and I just want a spin-off that is just them hanging out yeah exactly but no they're all sellouts and they all go to the stupid cotillion but then this sets up all of the date situation off again so now summer becomes available again and Marissa shows up with Ryan so Luke is hacked off and Luke breaks it off with Marissa. He's just like, I'm done with this, like, we're through. But by this point, Anna has had a conversation with Seth because she's trying to get him to be more confident. It's beautiful, he doesn't deserve it, but- He needs it. She gives it anyway. And he does kind of go for the whole like, oh wow, that's that's really sensitive of you to say it and, and stuff. And I look, she's about to teach you a very important life lesson right now. So how about you just shut up and listen for two minutes? And this is a moment that should you search Twitter for OC gifts, you will probably stumble across this one. Could you be any more pathetic? Lone figure sitting on the floor, wondering if he's going to be lonely for the rest of his life. Oh, hey, your sensitivity, it's really, uh, non-existent. You know what your problem is? You're not a man. Again, not appreciating the brutal honesty. Do you know what girls find sexy? Uh, wait, let me guess. Dudes who play water polo. Confidence. Watch this. Seth? I don't have a date to the cotillion. Would you be my escort? I mean, I, I... confidence. Go ahead. Let's do this. Kind of like dusts his shoulder off for him, which I love. And so they are now a couple. But Summer goes over, having now been released of her duties because Luke has stormed off, just comes over to him like, uh, I'm available now. And he does consider it for a moment. You know he has the thought, but then clearly Anna may have just spoken some sense that actually like sunk in for a second. And he's like, um, no. And they walk off. I hate this as well though. Like he did it in such a shitty way. Yeah. Instead of her rocking up and being like, oh, I'm available now. And him saying, well, actually I'm gonna take Anna because she's nice and she doesn't have anyone and you've been nothing but rude to me and you tried to sell me for Jack Johnson tickets. Um, (laughs) He doesn't say any of the stuff that would maybe cause her to think about her actions. He just does like a weird goofy dance and then it's just like, no, and walks off. Like there is no 
context for that. He does just kind of look like he's being a dick. Yeah. Which she deserves, really... but she doesn't realise that because she's a dick. This could have been a teachable moment for I her. I just, again, I really wish that it didn't take Anna to, like, get him up off the floor and be like, look, I don't have a date now, let's go together. Like, I really wish that he'd have just kind of had a moment and gone, look, Summer isn't interested in me, let's let that go. This is someone who's cool, who shares the same interests as me who completely doesn't listen to my shit and wants to talk to me about comics as a marginalised art form. Why can't you take all of that and have the wherewithal to say, oh, hey, why don't we go together? Like, why did Anna have to put all that work in? You don't deserve her. Agreed. Seth's a baby. He's a sorry, spoilt little baby. Yeah, he is. We get to the cotillion, the actual main event, where they're doing the ceremony... I don't really have much to say about that. The men come up, collect their women, they put some flowers down on the table and then they go and have a little dance. Like, I don't really feel like there's much to be said about that. Really, we want to skip over this part and get to the real meat of the event, which is the big fight. The big fight. I mean, essentially, it is all of Jimmy's chickens coming home to roost. Dude wants his check so he can buy that property dude is not getting his check and oh my god greg is mad he will not be put off any longer yeah he will not and he approaches jimmy and he keeps kind of like brushing him off like oh this isn't the right time like not now arguably he's right i would say a cotillion is probably not the best time to have a business arrangement but also you've been acting shady for days and weeks so at some point you have to just accept that the man is not going to be put off any longer it is very like you come to me on the day of my daughter's cotillion (laughs) asking for your quarter of a million check but yeah well that's he can't say no that's the rule he can't say no Um, yeah, Greg is not having it anymore and Jimmy's trying to kind of, like, without saying it, tell him he doesn't have his money. But Greg isn't having it, so eventually he just has to go, I don't have your money. Yeah. Comprende. (laughs) Do not have the money is essentially what he's doing. But yeah, so Greg is not having it to the point that he decides to just start a fight. And he hits him. He doesn't take it well. This blew my mind. Like, not only did he hit him, he punched him till he fell to the ground. And then he knocked that bitch out. He Jimmy really was did. unconscious. Jimmy was splayed out on the floor, like, not moving, not conscious. That was wild to me. I feel like that's not really something that you get in these kind of shows. You get fisticuffs. You get a little punch in. Maybe the character has a black eye for the next couple of days. You don't beat a man unconscious. No. And, like, the chaos that kind of ensues afterwards. Sandy gets in there, gets punched in the face. (laughs) Sandy doesn't get in there. Sandy gets, like, sucker punched. Yeah. Sandy gets fucked up. Ryan dives in to, to help. And it's, like, it's a real fracas. That's the word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? I think so. I thought it was fracas. I think it's fracas, isn't it? I don't know. One of us is a little really silly when we edit this. Let's find it's out. Prob- it's probably me, but I don't like that because I feel like fracas sounds more like what it means. <laughs> whereas fracas sounds very... Uh, it is fracas. I just googled it. It is fracas. Ooh. <laughs> 
Well, it is quite the fracas at the cotillion. <laughs> My favourite Panic at the Disco covers band. <laughs> um, just just uh, putting that out there as like a small bit of housekeeping. I am going to continue saying fracas because I like the sound of it better and I feel like it makes more sense in the context of what the word means. So, yes, I agree. It is a big fracas. <laughs> and this is where one might say if one were so inclined and one is that Jimmy lost it all in a beach community (laughs) fucking hell (laughs) he really did and by lost it all he lost his money everyone's (laughs) money in the beach community he lost the money he lost his consciousness Greg arguably also lost it all by it i mean his temper his family's reputation (laughs) his property that he was gonna buy but how much he lost is not all that clear to me (laughs) (laughs) i will not be stopped I love the idea that like someone might actually. I still don't really believe that anyone's gonna listen to this podcast, but the idea that there might be like a hardcore OC fan other than you that listens to this who has no idea who Joyce Manor are, who's just like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the old woman's mind is clearly degraded. <laughs> We're going to have to see if Barry will let us use Beach Community as the intro for this episode. (laughs) Oh my god, what's even better is we don't even have to go through Epitaph because that album didn't come out on Epitaph. That album came out on Asian Man. Mike Park would support this. Oh, Mike Park. Mike Park would do it for us. Mike Park's the man. It's California. (laughs) It's Beach Communities. Mike Park, if you're listening. You know what, I reckon we might not even have to ask because we would only need, like, what, eight seconds? Just a quarter of the Joyce Manor song. It's basically a quarter of the album. it's, It's fair use. It's fair use. And furthermore, if we get sued by Mike Park for an OC podcast, I'm willing to take that. Yeah, I'll put that on my CV. I'll put that on my CV. Like, <laughs> that is that is completing punk by getting sued by Asian Man Records for unlicensed use of an eighth of a Joyce Manor song. Like, if I'm going to prison, that's what I'm going to prison for, my friend. I don't think they put you in prison for this. No. They might just make us take the episode down. <laughs> might have to pay a fee. I don't know. Mike Park, if you're listening, come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and also, please don't sue us. <laughs> yeah, I'd prefer if you didn't. We can settle this amicably out of court. <laughs> I don't think that Mike Park would sue us. I don't think he'd dare. I don't Bring think... it on, Mike Park! I don't think Mike Park's a scab. Mike Park, if you're listening... Please don't take me shouting bring it on Mike Park as actual incentive for you to bring it on. Please don't bring it on. Like Seth Cohen, I'm baby. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think through the consequences of anything before I actually do it. Christy can attest to that. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, that was a beautiful segue. Um... We've digressed somewhat. (laughs) I mean, I'm surprised we got that far, if I'm honest. 
And it's taken this long for it to descend into chaos. I was going to try and bring it back by using like a suitable line from Beach Community, but I can't remember any of them. I can, but they don't really fit. Well, they do call the police, but they are not in the wrong town. Ryan's in the wrong town. <laughs> Sandy, Comrade Sandy, knowing that Ryan stood in to help the situation and protect Jimmy rather than to actually kick off. He's like, yeah, the cops are gonna be here soon, um, but as your attorney, I'm just telling you to get out of here. Scram, kid. Go home. <laughs> You're one of us now. I've got this. Daddy Sandy's got this. And there's another Comrade Sandy line here. Which is where Kirsten's like, oh, you stepped in to protect Jimmy. Like, she knows he doesn't like him and he's probably a bit insecure. Kirsten, can you please shut the fuck up about Jimmy? If you wanted to marry him, you should have married him. Like, let it go. Yeah, but also don't respect Sandy Cohen. Don't disrespect Sandy Cohen. Is what I mean. Always respect Sandy. Always Cohen. respect Sandy Cohen. Don't yeah. Don't disrespect Sandy. Like look at Jimmy. Look at Sandy. Like that is an upgrade, my friend. But yeah, so she's kind of like really thankful that he like stood in, even though she knows he doesn't really like him and he's not at all happy about the situation. I haven't seen you in a fight since ever. Now you know why. What are you talking about? He sucker punched you. You didn't have to jump in like that. Defend Jimmy. Well, I've always had this thing for the underdog. Even in the face of Jimmy being an absolute knob, he still knows it's <laughs> not cool to beat someone unconscious at, at the cotillion and he's still on the side of the underdog. We don't deserve him. Also, I feel like he's probably got no particular allegiance to Greg who is probably, again, just another rich, spoiled OC brat. Oh, yeah. It's just more wealth, isn't it? Sandy doesn't care about that. He's like, you guys exactly. you guys wait. I'm working on it. In a couple of years' time, there won't be any wealth because this is going to be the People's Republic of Newport and I, Sandy Cohen, <laughs> am going to turn it into a socialist utopia. I really wish that was the plot of the OC. Unfortunately, it isn't. Putting the community back in Beach Community. Yeah. So we end on two points. One is where Seth, I think, is finally getting his head around the fact that Anna's kind of awesome and finds himself a bit besotted. And he's all like, oh, Brian, is it okay if I take your date home? As in to walk her home. And Seth's like... So Anna, like, will I get to see you again? We hang out and she's like, mm, no. And he's like, oh, okay. Back to being sad. But she's like, yeah, it's just, um, I'm gonna be away this summer because I'm going on a sailing trip to Tahiti. And it's like, of course she likes sailing because Seth too likes sailing. Well, Seth's whole plan was to take summer on a sailing trip to Tahiti which 
I thought Anna being like, oh yeah, I'm going sailing to Tahiti was a little bit on the nose because it's literally the exact same thing. Like, you've, you've done it a bit heavy-handed. Yeah. Here. Josh, Mr. Schwartz. A sailing trip to somewhere would have been enough, I think. You didn't need to do literally the exact thing that Seth wants to do. But, but also in a boat that bears Summer's name. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. But I'm I'm heartened by the fact that she's going to be coming back for another episode because I want I know they're not going to work out. I have a suspicion that Seth and Summer are going to end up together because they're the ones that are in the picture in the preview before the episode loads when I watch it. But oh god, I want this to work out so badly. I love them together. I love that she does encourage him to be a bolder person and to use his brain and actually think about someone other than himself. I love that she is just like if he doesn't change and be a more considerate and more open-minded person that she could just walk out of there and really not feel anything about it I love her as like an independent character I cannot wait for her to return I want her to be in every episode I want her instead of Summer yeah she should be the fourth character of the OC I'm saying no more on that but yeah, so we end the episode where Ryan goes to check on Marissa to see how she's doing after the fact that her dad has just been beaten unconscious, which is <laughs> unpleasant for her. And I goes to check on her, gives her his jacket because she's kind of cold and it's very cute. Uh, he's kind of consoling her in his sort of gentle, quiet, brooding way. But then Luke shows up and he's like, oh, I came as soon as I heard. And it's like, well, too late, buddy, because she's wearing Ryan's jacket. Oh, my God. He looks like Gaston. Yes. <laughs> like that chiseled face. Like the chin dimple, the hair swept back. He looks like a live action Gaston and I hate it. Yeah, it's not ideal. So like Luke's like, oh, can I can I take you home? And then Marissa's just had enough. Like she is done with men tonight. She's like, no, I, I need to be alone. Gives Ryan his jacket back, sacks Luke off and just run, runs off like she's done. Like, That's it. Go. you know what? Fair enough. Like, yeah. You've been knowing for a while that your dad's up to some kind of tricky business and you've been dealing with this Luke-Ryan tension for weeks now. Yeah. Yeah, just walk it off. Just have some time for yourself. Like, you deserve that. That's fine. Also, there is very prolonged eye contact between Luke and Ryan yes. at the end of this episode. Oh, God. And it's horrible because it does really have a sense that, like, you're meant to maybe feel a little bit bad for Luke. I don't. No, I don't either. But that's the kind of sense that I get from this scene is that, obviously, you're kind of rooting for Ryan and Marissa because they have this connection. But then you get this shot of Luke where he does look genuinely gutted and you do kind of have the thing of like oh okay they've been together for a really long time and like he's kind of a dick but he clearly does love her and he feels threatened by ryan and all of this stuff i don't give a shit you're fine you're gonna marry someone else's rich daughter and you'll be fine i don't give a shit but that's the vibe i get from this yeah oh he does have feelings so it's fine and you can just forget the fact that he's been fighting everyone and calling people queers for like the last three episodes yeah because he has feelings he's just realized as well that he's He's been screwing up left, right, and center, and this guy's- And he's been taking his relationship for granted. Yeah. I think that's finally hit home for him now, that like, just because you've been with someone since, I think, did they say fifth grade, seventh grade? Doesn't guarantee that they're still gonna be interested in you 10 years later, and like, yeah, you can grow apart. 
and you have to put work in. Otherwise, some brooding kid from Chino is gonna come over and be a stand-up guy, and he's gonna work his way right into that, and he deserves it, so get out. I don't like the way you said work his way into that. (laughs) Not physically, as in work (laughs) his way into that relationship is what I mean. Mm. Not work his way physically into someone. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. You know what else I've been thinking about, particularly in this episode? Do you remember in the pilot when Ryan goes outside when he just gets to the Cohen's house for the first time and how he meets Marissa is that he's smoking a cigarette? And I said in our pilot episode, I guarantee you once he moves back to the OC full time, you will never see him smoke again. (laughs) I've not seen him smoke one single cigarette since the pilot and i feel like they are using those cigarettes as like a symbol of his previous life as like a poor fucked up kid from chino especially because when dawn came in in the last episode she was chaining them like nobody's business yeah i feel like they are really using cigarettes as like a representation of being like poor and unfortunate and fucked up yeah and maybe i'm reading too much into this as someone who until recently was a very committed smoker but i hate and I would assume that Ryan has been smoking since since his pre-teens. Yeah. That's the vibe I get from him from like before he moved to the OC. And I do not believe that he could just move there and be like, okay, no smoking no more. Yeah. I too have not seen him smoke since that episode. So they're prob- they may well be using that as a, a, sig- a class signifier almost. Fuck you, Josh Schwartz. Yeah. Let man smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Like, seriously, he's been through a lot. Maybe he just wants a cigarette. Like, I would not begrudge him that at this stage. I would go and buy him a pack right now. Okay, well, he's underage, so you would get arrested for that. Well, I'm gonna get arrested for something. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Park is is on his way. Mike Park's coming for us. You might as well distribute as many cigarettes to minors as you can. (laughs) The shadow of Mike Park approaches. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy cigarettes for children and use Joyce Manor songs without permission. That's it. Up the punks. <laughs> oh. We should round up this episode. Do you know what we've forgotten to do every single time, even though we always say that we're going to do it and then we don't? Finish the episode. Finish the episode, but also like a rating for the episode. Okay rating for this episode i think this is probably a solid nine out of ten for me nine out of ten what you got a what (laughs) nine out of ten what i don't know (laughs) what things come in tens Uh, no you don't have to think of something that comes in tens you just gotta think of something from the episode okay i'm gonna go first i'm gonna show you um (laughs) I'm a pro at this genre, so it's fine. Okay, so for me, I really enjoyed this episode. I feel like it's really settled into its rhythm a lot more. I feel like we've got through the kind of main establishment of the of the premise of the show, and now we can just get into, like, the meat of the drama, you know what I mean? So I think it's really good, and it's probably the episode that I've enjoyed the most because I'm not kind of like, oh, 
oh, but Ryan's going to go to prison or, like, Ryan's going to go into care or, like, what's going to happen now? Like, I know that he's fine, whatever happens. It's just, like, day-to-day drama. So I feel a lot more comfortable watching it, you know? So it's solid. I really enjoyed it. I don't want to give it too high a rating because if something else comes in later in the show that is incredible, I don't want it to be diminished by this episode getting a really high rating. Okay. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 Mickey Mouse Cotillion gloves. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I also really like this episode for a number of reasons, but I don't know, chiefly because of Anna, I think. I think she just... carries it. She elevates this. And there was a lot to enjoy about this. Like, who doesn't love a fracar at the Cotillion? There really is something for everyone here. And we do get a lot of Comrade Sandy time. So I think I am going to give this 9 out of 10 hammer and sickles. (laughs) That wasn't something in the episode. Oh my god, how do you not understand this concept? Comrade (laughs) Sandy was in the episode and it's symbolic of that. Fuck. (laughs) <laughs> okay okay what was i'm gonna in- no i'm gonna let you have it this time because you're new you're new to this this is it's been made astoundingly clear that you're new to the concept of how these podcasts go but next week you've got to think of something that's actually featured explicitly in the episode <sighs> okay <laughs> if i have to i will try and follow this one simple rule I don't ask for much in this life, Christy. You know that. That's true. Okay, next episode I will find something and I will give it a rating according to that thing. Okay. So, that was I Lost It All in a Beach Community. Which actually, I, I, I'm, I'm really coming around to it and if Mike Park sues us, then so be it, you know? Like, my episode title suggestion was going to be uh, The Debbie Downers but I like yours better. (laughs) The Debbie Downers is good, and I do like that. It's fine. It's a six out of 10, I would say. Someone did get downed at the Debbies. That's true. And everyone was very like, half of the people were like, oh, I don't really want to go. So they were also being downers about the Debs. It's true. There's so many layers. Anyway. With that, that's the end of episode four. We do not have a Twitter account or a email address that you can contact us on because this isn't really a real podcast, but you can harass us on our private Twitter accounts if you like. Mine is at jdoactive, like radioactive, but with a J because my name is Jade. It seemed very clever when I was 14 and I've just kind of stuck with it because no one else has it. And I am on Diaz with four Zs because other people with the surname Diaz kept taking up handles and I kept adding Zs until Twitter accepted it. And 12 years later, we're still here. We've still got four Zs. Okay. That's it. See you next week. Bye. (laughs)